me start off with this question. How many of you are competitive? You're just competitive by nature, like you, you, you don't like to lose. Okay, so that's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. My, my whole family, in fact, is rather competitive, and, and so family competitions get a little heated at times, you know. And so uh, when your two-year-old throws something at you because she lost, you know that you have done something wrong in the competitiveness category, right? And so uh, we, are, we are very competitive in, in our family. I am a very uh, competitive person by nature. And uh, for me, and maybe this happened for you, uh, how many of you are competitive when it comes to just sports? Like, I mean, like rec league. I mean, you're just, you know, you're just going all out. Okay, that's all right. None of y'all want to be honest. I, I see how it is. Because some of y'all got kicked out, you know, and I, I, I know how it is. But uh, so I, I'm, I'm that way. Like, like when, I was, when I was younger, something happened. Like I remember the first sport that I played was soccer. And, and so, so being a, a five-year-old kid playing soccer, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. Like I, I have my son who is five years old. He is head and shoulders above what I was at five years old as far as playing sports. Like he knows what he's doing. He, I mean, he's, he's competitive and he has fun. I was out like literally just running in circles. Like just, you know, out, you know, the rest of the, everybody would be down there kicking the ball and all that stuff. I'd be down here running circles. And so later on, I started playing baseball and the same thing with baseball, they, which was weird. My coach put me at shortstop. I don't know why, because I would sit in the dirt and like just push it together and the ball would go by me. I'd be like, whoa, it was, it was awesome. And so like, I, I don't know what happened. But, and so the early part of my life, I was not very competitive at all. I didn't really care. I mean, I liked sports. I liked being out there. I liked running around. I liked doing all of those things, but it wasn't very competitive in nature. But as I got a little bit older, something changed. Like something shifted within me that made me extremely competitive, maybe too competitive at times. And, and, and so I, I got to the point to where whether I was playing like, you know, high school sports for the, for the high school team or, or just playing, you know, rec league basketball or, or, or backyard football uh, with my friends, amen? Uh, you know, like, like we, would, we would play backyard football and it would get pretty heated at times. What, he can vouch, he was there, it was. Uh, so like, so like it, it would get heated at times and it would get a little weird and, and it would stem from my competitiveness. And, and so the, the thing with me is I don't like to lose. How many of you like to lose? Nobody. Nobody likes to lose. I, I love what Mia Hamm said. She uh, is a, uh, an Olympic, was an Olympic so- soccer player, professional soccer player, and, uh, and I love this, but she said, whoever said winning isn't everything never won anything. And I tend to agree with that. I, t- I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree with that. Whoever said winning isn't everything never won anything. And so I, I hear that, and, and, and I just I want to, like, paste that on top of, like, youth sports who give trophies for participation. Like, I just, that, that, that's just me. Like, you're like, oh, come on, man. All the kids got, if they lost, they lost. That's all I'm saying. So, like, I just, like, I want to, I, I, I just want to proclaim that because winning it's good. Winning is, now, is it everything? No, it's a game. I get that. It's not everything. I, you know, believe me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is everybody likes to win because winning is good. Nobody likes to, re- you'll never meet anybody who goes, I love to lose. It's so awesome. I love it. Nobody likes to lose. And so the same thing is probably true for you. At some point in time, like when you notice that you become 
very competitive about things, there was something that shifted inside of you that said, you know what, losing is not fun, but winning is good. It's not only is it a little more fun, but it feels a lot better than losing, doesn't it? And so, as believers, as believers, you and I deal with, on a daily basis, a losing and winning situation. We deal, but, it, but it's much more serious than, than, than a game. It's much more serious than you either won or you either lost and you just kind of pick yourself up and, and you just kind of move on, you know, you, you go on to the next one. It's a lot more serious than that. You see, as believers, we deal with sin that way. And for some of us, if we were being honest, we would think of our sin as just a game. In reality, we look at it as just a game. It's like, ah, oh, you win some, you lose some. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. But the truth is, is if that is our mindset about our sin, then we've already lost. We've already lost. We're in trouble. Because the devil has lulled us into to playing a game, and we're already losing the game if we look at it in such a light. But I believe that God has all of us, every one of us, myself especially, to wake up here today, to wake us up, to get our boots on the ground so that we can look at our sin in a different light instead of looking at it as just a game or something that just happened, but look at it as an actual war that is taking place within ourselves. Last week, we uh, started this series called Chain Breaker in Romans chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we'll be there for the next several weeks, uh, actually for the rest of this month. So Romans, Romans chapter 8 is where we will be today. But we started off at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes this amazing claim. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and so he says, there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And that in and of itself is amazing news. It's amazing news that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, meaning for those of us who are believers, we are not condemned. We are not condemned. And so Paul makes this amazing statement. He says that for the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus. And so he just begins in Romans 8, 1, he just begins to, to really take off some of the pressure that he built up from Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 7 when he basically just said, every single one of us are dirty, rotten sinners and we need a Savior. That without Christ, without being in Christ, the opposite of no condemnation is, in fact, that there is condemnation for those of us who are not in Christ Jesus. But last week, we, we looked at that and we said, the good news is that, that, that there can be no condemnation on you when we give ourselves over to Christ as our Savior, as our Savior. And so, Paul, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, I, I love this guy, I love uh, what he writes in the New Testament. He ends up writing most of the New Testament. And so Paul was a man who was radically saved by Christ. After the crucifixion and resurrection of, of Jesus, Jesus appeared to Paul. And so the thing about Paul was that, that Paul hated Christians. 
Before he became a believer, he hated Christians. So if you don't like Christians, you should love Paul because he should be your guy. He was the guy. He actually had a hand in murdering believers during this time, trying to squash out the movement of believers. And so Paul hated Christians, but he became one. He saw resurrected Christ, and it changed his life. And so when Paul writes Romans, all of Romans and Romans chapter 8, and really anything else in the New Testament, when I read what Paul writes, I'm like, I'm going with that guy. If you think about where he came from and where he is and what God has done in his life and how Jesus appeared to him and it changed the trajectory of his entire life, he became a missionary, a a church planter who gave his life up for Jesus. They killed him. And he never recanted. And so we're going to pick this up in Romans chapter 8, verse Five today we're going to go through 14 if you don't have a bible we want you to have one for free so be sure to grab one out there at ridge central uh, if you want one uh, or it's going to be on the screen back here behind me check this out romans chapter 8 verse 5 we're going to pick it up where we left off last week and we're going to get to 14 for those who live according to the flesh now when he says the flesh what he means is he says those who live according to our sinful lives are the, the sin in our lives and so he says For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, meaning for those of us who live according to the Holy Spirit, letting the the Holy Spirit be the, the, the guider of our lives, or for those of us who are believers, he goes on, and he says, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Listen to verse 8. It's very important. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh. Now, why does Paul say you, however, are not in the flesh? Because he is writing, this is, Romans is a letter to believers in Rome, to the church in Rome. And so he's actually writing to believers. And so he's contrasting this. And he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Let's stop right there. We need to let that sink in for just a second. Because in America, in cultural Christianity, we have this belief that if we went to church, if we just show up to church, if grandma took us to church, then that automatically makes us a Christian. We just have this belief that, well, I've just been a Christian all of my lives. That's not the case. That's not true. And Paul says it very explicitly here. He says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And he goes on. He says, but... If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. Now, Paul is, what's he, what's he talking about when he's saying there's, there's death and there's life? Now, Understand, we all get this, we all understand this, we all know that all of us, at some point in time, our lives will come to an end. None of us live forever. We all know that, we all get that. And so what is Paul talking about here? 
He, he, he's talking about as we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where we see sin enter into the world. One of the, the consequences and results of sin is that death also entered into the world. That not only a physical death, but also spiritual death. And so Paul is giving this contrast. And when he says that the Spirit gives life, is he saying that we're just, if we're believers that we'll just live forever? Not physically, no. But spiritually, yes. Verse 12. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, very very important, where we're going to concentrate on. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so Romans 13, let me just read it to you one more time. Romans eight thirteen, Paul says, as he sort of brings to a, a culmination of everything that he's spoken here in these last few Lines. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Romans 8.13, understand, is very violent. There are no unicorns and rainbows in Romans 8.13. It's very violent. And so if we want to live according to the Spirit, what Paul is saying is he is saying, you have to get violent toward sin. Because understand that sin is violent towards you. Its purpose is to kill your spirit. To give you a spiritual death. There is nothing beautiful. There is nothing nice. There is nothing whatever you want to call it. There is nothing good about that. And so to counteract that, there has to be violence. Violence against what? It's against lust. It's against desires for, for pornography, uh, over our indulgence of alcohol or money, or, or for the praise of people over the afflictions of God, power and fame, violence against racist hate towards God's creation, slothfulness, laziness, and the injustices of this world like poverty and abortion. It's violence against those things spiritually. Because these are the things that seek to destroy us, you, me, whether you're a believer or unbeliever. Understand that the root cause of all of these things, whether they have surfaced in you or not, they're, they're in there. They're in there. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, I have no desire for murder. But this, the root cause of what causes murder is in there. The root cause of what causes adultery is in there. The root cause of what causes us to, to lust over 2D images on a computer screen is in there. The, the, the root cause of all of these things are within every single one of our hearts. And that's a little scary, isn't it? It's in there. It's kind of like what Paul is saying is, is kind of like whack-a-mole. You ever play the game Whack-A-Mole? You got kids? You seen them play Whack-A-Mole? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you go, you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you know, and, and, and the little moles pop out of the thing. You got that big hammer and you're just whack, whack, whack. You know, you got two, you know, if you get two of them, like, you know, you can really just go to town on that whole thing, right? Like Whack-A-Mole. And so what, what Paul is saying is he's like, say, he said, when sin begins to erupt, when it begins to, to, to come out, you got to kill it. You got to kill it. 
And so what Paul is not saying, I want to be very clear here, what Paul is not saying is he's not saying that this is the way that you eradicate sin from your life, from ever coming out, from ever, like you will be completely sinless if you do these things. That's not what he's saying because that's not scripture. That's not biblical. That's in there. But what he is saying is he's saying when it begins to surface, you kill it. You don't let it grow up. In fact, listen to what Matthew 15 says. Matthew 15, Jesus This is what he says about what is actually in within every one of our hearts. Matthew 15 verse 18 says this. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Listen to what Jesus, this is what Jesus says. If you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe what Jesus says. He says, this comes out of the heart. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All of these things come out of our hearts. Out of your hearts. Out of my heart. Now, because these things are in there, doesn't always necessarily mean that they're coming out in such a way. But believe me, they're coming out. In fact, Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he says it this way, Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Anybody believe that one? He says the heart is deceitful in all things. I mean, have you ever said or ever felt like your heart led you to something that was completely wrong, that was completely evil, or that was just completely on the wrong page? I have. And he says, it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Anybody? Anybody? He says, who can understand it? So, l- l- let's, let's think about it like this. Have you ever, you ever said something to your spouse or to a friend or to someone at work and you, like, it, it, it comes out of your mouth and then all of a sudden you're just like, where did that come from? Like, how did that get out? It got out because it's in there. Have you ever... Uh, you, nobody, nobody will admit to this because you're all good Christian people, but have you ever flipped anybody off? <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, recently, like, you know, in the parking lot out, out here? Like, yeah, uh, right before you got in. And you're like, oh, and then you saw them serving your coffee when you got in here? You're like, oh, sorry. But like, but then, but then you're like, where did that come from? Like, how did that, like, that's, that's not me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that kind of thing, but you did it, right? And we say things and we do things and, we're like, and, we, and we ask ourselves the question, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from right here because it's in there. Those things must be put to death when they surface and not left to grow up because they will grow up. And when they grow up, we're in trouble. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus. We talked about James. We did a whole series on James not too long ago. James chapter 1, verse 14, he says this. He says that, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Because when sin grows up, it begins to bring forth death, spiritual death, that we begin to die. And so here instead 
is how we deal with sin. This is what, this is what you and I do. We, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago and how, how we, we deal with our sin. Instead of putting it to death, what we try to do is we try to either train it, control it, or ignore it. We try to train it, control it, or ignore it. And so what we do with our sin, when it begins to, to bubble up and it begins to, to grow up, we just try to, we try to train it. We try to control it. Or we, all together we just say, I ain't dealing with that. Nah, it's no big deal. Everybody does that, you know, so it's, it's, it's no thing. And then we ignore it, and then it gets bigger, and then it gets bigger, and then it gets out of control. And the truth is, you and I can't train our sin. We can't train our sin to just come out when we want it to come out, right? If, if you have the power to train your sin, you're in a whole lot worse of a place than we all thought. You can't, you can't train it, and you certainly can't control it. Have you ever seen the show When Animals Attack? I love, this is my favorite illustration of all time. You're, you know what I'm talking about? There's a show on Discovery Channel called When Animals Attack, and when, when Animals Attack, I saw it when, this one episode where this guy is taking, I mean, listen to the name of the show for crying out loud. I mean, it, it's going to go badly for somebody. And so there's this guy who's doing this alligator thing, right? And so he's got this 16-foot crocodile, and he's like, you know, standing on top of it, you know, putting a cowboy hat on it and riding it around, you know, and it's just like, you're an idiot, right? And so then he's like, okay, here comes the, the best part of the show. He opens the croc's mouth up, right? And he sticks his head inside of the croc. The show was called When Animals Attack. You kind of know what happens next, right? Bam! Croc is coming down on the guy. He's flipping him around all over the place. The croc got dinner. Now, the guy didn't die. He got hurt, but he, he didn't die. You know, lucky for him. But think about this. This is what we try to do with our sin. We look at our sin, but in reality, our sin is a 16-foot, 2-ton crocodile that you can't control. And the minute you try to control it, you're sticking your head inside of this crocodile going, don't bite me. Don't you bite me. And it's going, meat. And it gets out of control. John Owen, the 17th century theologian, he wrote this 86-page book called The Mortification of Sin. If you have an opportunity, you want a little light Sunday afternoon reading, Go Google John Owen, Mortification of Sin, and read it. It's a fantastic read. But John Owen, he said this. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You see, sin can't be mowed over like weeds. It must be rooted at its root, mortified or killed. And so if you want to kill weeds, how do you kill weeds? You pull it up by the root, don't you? You've got to get down to where it begins. And so sin issues are root issues. They're not behavior issues. They're heart issues. Lust, anger, addiction, all of these things are heart issues. So we recently started a recovery ministry here at Ridge Church, and we'll officially launch this thing coming up in October. And recovery here at the Ridge is based on not changing behaviors, but attacking the root of where the behaviors begin. Because these are the places where, where these things start. It's not just mowing over weeds. It's heart transformation, not behavior modification. And so what I want to do real quick as we close, real quick, I want to give you three things. 
three practical steps that every single one of us as believers can do to kill sin. How do we kill sin? We're going to answer that question. How do we kill sin? And I want to be honest, these are not original to me. Uh, John Piper and Matt Chandler actually just uh, borrowed them from these guys. And so I, I go by them, and so I want you guys to, to hear them as well. So check them out. Number one, first thing is this. How do we kill sin? The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. If you don't start there, you're just doing behavior modification. The blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, Paul, he writes this in Ephesians 2.13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. We have been brought near by Jesus, not by our behavior. And so we have not entered into relationship because we cleaned our lives up. We have not entered into relationship with Jesus because we're awesome. We've entered into relationship with Jesus because he is awesome. Because his sacrifice on the cross. And so understand that our acceptance before God is not obtained through what he has already done. or It's obtained through what he has already done, not we have, what we have done. And so we constantly run to the cross of Christ and not from it. Especially when we sin. See, I, I look at that as, as a mark of a, of a believer. Is Do you run to the cross when you sin or do you run from it? We should be running to it. And so the first thing, how do we kill sin? The first thing is that we are constantly going to the cross. We are constantly asking for the blood of Christ. We are constantly asking for repentance of our sin. That word repentance, it just means that we are turning away from our sin and we're turning to the cross. Number two, second thing is this. That we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8, 5, and 6, Paul just rehashing this, he says... For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so there has to be a turning from our sin. But where are we turning to? Are we going to turn to things that make our lives better, that we think are just going to clean ourselves up? Or are we going to turn to the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit? That's where we should be turning. You see, because we can't just stare our sin in the face and be like, no, stop it. You're not going to be able to, you're not, you're not going to, be able to, to, to stare, uh, stare those, those pills in the face and be like, no, 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 no. You're not going to be able to, to stare the, the joint in the face and be like, uh-uh. Or the, or the porn or, or, or whatever whatever our, that, that chains us and, and where our sin begins to grow up. We're not going to be able to stare those things in the face and just be able to say no. We have to turn from it. We have to refocus our attention on the things of the Spirit, on Jesus. And it starts at the level of temptation. Because being, understand, being tempted is not a sin. It's like I'm being tempted. Being tempted by things is not. So you're going to be tempted daily, constantly. Jesus himself was tempted. Being tempted is, is not a sin. It's, it's what we do with it. And so sin lives and grows in right environments. It's just like plants. When you plant things, when you plant a garden, it only lives and grows when, you, when it comes up in a right environment. And sin is the same way. But dies when we cut off its air. It dies when we cut out its environment. And so 
very practically, let me ask you, where are you letting sin live? Where are you letting sin live? Where, where is it getting its air from? Are you in places, are you in times with people doing things that breed more sin? And so where are you letting sin live? And understand, you are letting it live there. You are letting it live there. But you also, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, can kill it. Number three, last one. Number three, we have to set our minds on the words of God. Set our minds on the words of God. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, but uh, this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Anybody ever heard that, that phrase? It's true, isn't it? I think it's true. This book will keep you from sin or, or, or the sin will keep you from the book. Ephesians 6, Paul says this. He says, he, he calls it a, a sword. Uh, Ephesians six seventeen. he, he says that, he says that the, the Bible itself is a sword. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so what do you use a sword for? Killing. Right? Killing. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says this. He says, talking about the word of God, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so knowing scripture helps us identify the difference between a truth and a lie, doesn't it? When you read the Bible, maybe you're not you haven't been reading the Bible a whole lot, but you read the Bible sometimes and, and you're not really sure what to make of it. The Bible is a truth teller. It is a truth revealer. It will reveal the truth. And so the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, will, will preach to us. You'll read Scripture. That's why April got up here and, and read Second Corinthians so that it would preach to you. That there would be something that would stick in your heart. There would be something that you could call to your attention. But the devil will preach to you too. And he probably, you're right, yeah, he probably knows scripture better than we do. And they both do the same thing. The devil and the Holy Spirit, when they preach to us, they both do the same thing. They both, they both make us aware of our shortcomings. But the difference is, is that the devil preaches to accuse and condemn, but the Holy Spirit preaches to convict and comfort. If you're constantly feeling condemned, not convicted, there's a difference between condemned. Condemned says that you will never be anything, that you will never amount to what we talked about last week, that you will never amount to what God created you to be. But conviction says you were created to be exactly what God made you to be. And that you should go to the cross. That you should repent of your sin. But condemnation says you have to live in your sin. Deal with it. Conviction says your sin has been killed on the cross. It was crucified with Christ. Announcing to yourself who God is, a friend of sinners, right? That's who God is. He's a friend of sinners, which makes me happy because right here, that's me. Yeah, welcome to the, welcome to Rich Church. 
Remember, Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn the world. And so you and I, we will never, we will never just stumble into godliness. We will never just, you, you won't wake up one day and be like, well, look how godly I am. It's awesome. It's not going to happen. You, 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 will, you will never stumble into godliness. There has to be what D.A. Carson, a the, modern-day theologian, he calls, there has to be this, this grace-driven effort. It's effort on our behalf that is driven by the grace of God. So if we are living according to the Spirit, the Spirit will demand that we make war on our sin. It won't do it for you. The Holy Spirit will lead us to it. And I said this last week, there there should be some, some godly grief in our lives when it comes to sin. It's, it, it's a guilt as a result of our sin that, that leads us to repentance. A, a part of the repentance process is killing sin. However, if we are not waging war against our sin like ever, we're trying to train it, trying to control it, trying to ignore it. If we just look at it as it's not a big deal, then we need to go back to talking about whether or not you've actually given your life over to Christ. Putting sin to death is not how, on its own, we become believers, but it is an indicator that we are believers. So imagine this for a second. I'm going to close and pray, but imagine this. Imagine if you went to war against the very things that chain you from being all God created you to be. That chain you back, that hold you back from being all that God created you to be. That you put your boots on the ground and you went to war. That you did what what the, the 17th century author wrote when he said, we're going to burn the boats. We're getting on shore, and we ain't leaving until we win. Imagine if today that you made the proclamation that today will be the day that you go to war. No more walking in shame. No more hiding from God. No more of your past scaring you into thinking that you're not worthy of God's love. You were not worthy. I was not worthy of God's love, but He died to make us worthy. So now we have access to the weapons of the Spirit through the Spirit because the blood of Christ on the cross. And so we go to it and we go to it often claiming victory over sin through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, you you have given us such rights to be called sons and daughters because of the blood on the cross that we proclaim. And so God, as sons and daughters, as as Paul rightly lays out for us in the next piece of Romans 8, God, as sons and daughters, we have an inheritance. And that inheritance that you give us, God, is inheritance of life. Inheritance to not be condemned. Inheritance to not be chained by sins, God, but to have the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling within us, God, that defeats and kills sin. So, Father, give us the courage. Give us the faith to believe that your word is true, that we don't have to be chained to the very things 
that want to keep us from being what you created us to be. That by the power of your spirit, by the power of the cross, the blood on the cross, God, the power of your word, God, you have given us the weapons to kill sin as they grow up. So, Father, let us wage war. Let us claim victory. And in your name we pray. Amen.